0: Welcome to Central Assemblies Podcast. Today's message is from a guest speaker. We pray this message speaks to you. Well, why don't we stand up together this morning in honor of the reading of God's Word? Um, In a few moments, we'll spend some time teaching in the Word of God, and then in a few moments, um, we're going to come together and we're going to pray together. How many think it's okay to pray in the house of prayer, right? In fact, can you say you've really had a church service if you haven't prayed in the house of prayer? right? So we're going to pray together. It won't take very long. We'll be out by three, four o'clock, something like that. No problem. No, no, we'll be out. I always make sure we uh, beep the Baptist to Kings. But um, we'll, um, because how many know all the non-Christians go to Eaton Park, right? So, um, but uh, we're going to, we're going to end with a time of prayer and seeking God. Looking at your own life, has prayer played a role in you receiving from God in your past? When you got saved, you're calling on the Lord, healed, filled with the Spirit, guidance, protection, decisions, right? So prayer, biblically, is the normal route, the normal highway that we walk on to receive from God. So that's why we'll end with prayer. And if you need something from God, which is everybody in this room, whether we realize it or not, if you need something from God, prayer is the most common biblical avenue through which we'll receive from Him. But how many know, usually prayer starts out clunky and awkward, and you don't feel like it, Right? But you got to push through. you got to push through. And if you'll join with me at the end of the service and just push through in two or three minutes of awkwardness and mind-wandering and all that stuff, but just push through, the Holy Spirit will always, 100% of the time, fall upon us when we cry out to God. And so if we'll just push through and kind of get over that speed bump, get through that awkwardness, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit will start to fall and he'll begin to move as he always desires to do. Well, we want to read together this morning, the founding of the great church of Ephesus. In the first century, uh, the second largest, most significant church would grow to be the church of Ephesus, the main church being the church of Jerusalem. And early on in the first century, probably by AD 55 or so, Um, The second most influential church would have been the church in Syria and Antioch, like Acts 13. But when the church of Ephesus began to grow, um, it began to grow so fast, it literally shook the entire Roman province of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, basically. And it shook that province, the gateway from Europe into Asia. And uh, the most populated city in the entire Roman province of Asia would be the, the city of Ephesus, even though it wasn't the political capital. It was a quarter of a million people in the first century. That's a big city. And, uh, and so that's even, you know, bigger than, um, like, Houston. And, uh, but uh, not Texas. But uh, it's, it's one of those things where the Apostle Paul, that was his longest pastorate three years he was there, his longest tenure of ministry. And if you'll read later on, perhaps this afternoon, when the revival hit in Ephesus, it shook the whole province. They end up even bringing together as a place of sorcery, they brought together all the witchcraft stuff and they had a bonfire burning up all these uh, books and amulets and all these things. And the value of the witchcraft stuff that went up in flames was over $2 million in today's money. It's a major, major deal that went on. And so what we want to read together, how this started The Egyptian evangelist by the name of Apollos, he went. He went around preaching the kingdom of God, and he went and he preached in Ephesus, and he led about 12 guys to the Lord. Then he left, and the Apostle Paul came, and this is where we pick this up. The Apostle Paul is trying to figure out what these brand-new, baby-on-the-doorstep Christians know about the Lord. He's trying to figure out where he needs to start in discipling them. How many of you know discipleship is the lifelong process of a Christian from the moment you're born again until you stop blowing bubbles, of becoming less like you and more like Jesus. How many of you are disciples, right? So let's read together. Are you ready? While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast, where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, he asked them? No, they replied we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. Father, we thank you so much for your word and for your power today, and I pray, God, that each one of us would experience your word and and your power in our lives. We need you. And I pray, Lord, that you would grant this room the favor that every person that desires to receive more power from your Holy Spirit would receive today. Everyone, you are so generous, and I pray, God, that you would remove the barriers from our lives and our misunderstandings. And Lord, just just reset us to childlike simplicity. If it comes from you, we want it, Lord Jesus. You're the giver of every good and perfect gift, and we welcome you to come and impart more of yourself, more of your kingdom into our lives. And Lord, I pray as always, following your pattern of ministry, that operating in conjunction with teaching ministry, that your healing ministry would take place. And I thank you so much for your power in the name of the Lord. I I thank you, God, that even right now, many are beginning to experience your healing power. And I pray, oh God, right now in the name of Jesus, that particularly anyone struggling with a migraine condition would begin to experience your power. If, if you struggle with some kind of reoccurring migraine, headache, cluster headache thing, just lift a hand to the Lord right now to heaven all over this house. God, we pray right now that you'll touch your people today, that you'll minister your healing gifts into their life. We thank you for it, God. Thank you for your touch. We pray, God, that even today during this teaching that people with a blurred vision would experience clarity and hear, hearing would be restored and pain would go away. You are here and we welcome your fullness to flood this room. May it be so in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. You can be seated if you like or, or you can remain standing and be, and be a public spectacle. Well, can we go back to that first scripture verse real quick? So now some of the details um, that we'll be discussing are not in our text. Um, the story of Ephesus begins halfway through Acts chapter 18 and this is where we learn all about Apollos, not Apollo Creed, but Apollos. And Apollos was this this very well-educated um, guy from Alexandria and Egypt. So Alexandria would be the second largest city in the Roman Empire. At the time of the fall of the Roman Empire, it, the, even kind of the, the governmental structure would shift towards Alexandria, Egypt, away from Rome and culturally and all that kind of stuff. You know, Anthony and Cleopatra and all that stuff and, and Elizabeth Taylor. And so all, that, all, those, all those things, that shift would take place. But um, Apollos was incredibly educated. And the Bible says in Acts 18 that Apollos spoke with the highest accuracy everything concerning Jesus except for one thing. Do you remember where the lapse was in his theology? Water baptism. Water baptism. Now, Luke, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts together, comprise by far the largest authorship of the New Testament. A lot of people misunderstand that fact, and they go, wait a minute, Paul wrote most of the New Testament. The fact is that Paul wrote 13 books. He wrote more individual books, but the writing of Luke in the book of Luke, and then... What we have come to call the Book of Acts, which was originally Second Luke, um, that those two books together—they're contiguous. Volume one and volume two—they comprise by far the largest authorship of the New Testament. Luke always calls the water baptism by the one who originated it. So he would call um, the baptism of John, as you see at the bottom there. Who's, who is John there? It's John the Baptist, right? I mean, no, oh, John was a Baptist. Jesus was a Nazarene, right? Uh, of course, Paul was Assemblies of God, if I remember correctly. But... Um but he, the baptism of John, John was the cousin of Jesus. Remember, he's the guy that ate bugs and wore camel skin, you know, and all that stuff. And so John was the forerunner. John was the guy that had one foot in the Old Testament and one foot in the New Testament. And over his head, he was holding up a plank for people who had believed and followed God in Judaism to walk across and enter in and experience the New Testament life that Jesus is the Messiah. Remember, John himself said, I'm not the Messiah, I'm not even worthy to his shoes, uh, or today's, I'm not even worthy to give him a pedicure or whatever. But he said, I am, um, I am the forerunner. I'm the one who is announcing, get ready. John's baptism was a patch baptism. It was a temporary baptism to help the Old Testament followers of Yahweh, followers of God, to enter in and experience who Jesus was, to identify the Messiah. And John's baptism prepared their hearts through repentance, Right? But it only lasted a short time. So then John would call the baptism of Jesus the baptism of Jesus or in Jesus' name uh, because he was the one that instituted it. And and we find that in Matthew 28 when Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them. And so, you know, we experience that. So the Apostle Paul, when he gets there, he asks them this first question. And you see it in verse 2. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, in the literal Greek here, the rendering in literal Greek, and you don't have to understand Greek to understand the New Testament. Although, how many of you would testify that you have come to know the Greek word baklava, and that has changed your life, right? That's an important one, isn't it? Um, But uh, in literal Greek, it's past tense, having received, or having, having believed, rather, So that's the verb faith, believe. You're already believers. And previously in Acts 18, this group of people are called Methaton disciples. They're called Adelphos brothers, like Philadelphia, you know, Philadelphia. Adelphos, they're called brothers. They're called um, believers here. Uh, They're called um, disciples, Methaton. So they're called all the magic words that Christians are called in the New Testament. They've already believed. Apollos preached everything about Jesus with the highest accuracy except for what? water baptism. How many know water baptism doesn't save you, right? It's an after conversion event. That's why here at Central Assembly, we don't baptize infants. Instead, we dedicate them like Jesus was presented at the temple. Samuel was dedicated before the Lord Um, because after Jesus rose from the dead, no one was baptized in water before they were born again anymore. That's why we, you know, don't practice it that way. And if you were baptized as a child, nothing wrong with that. It's a An act of your parents saying, I want my children to serve the Lord. That's good. But after you're born again, you need to get baptized in water of your own choice. And what does water baptism show? What are some of the things it shows? You all sound like Charlie Brown's teacher to me right now. It's a (laughs) wah, 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 wah. Um, Anyway, devotion, cleansing, you know, all those things. So, yeah, dying to yourself, coming alive in Christ, you know. And some people are just pretty cruddy, and they just need a bath. And so... Uh, So it's all good. But uh, no, it, it shows that mostly it's an issue of personal commitment, obedience, devotion, identification, right? So Paul gets there, and he asks them this question. Here's the literal Greek. Having believed, past tense, you've already believed, you're already Christians. Have you, since you believed, received the Holy Spirit? Now, this question is curious to us because Luke and the Apostle Paul this was not a question to them, an issue to them. But to us, it is a question. A lot of people say, wait a minute, when I got saved, I thought the Holy Spirit came to live inside of me. Yes, indeed, he does. The Bible teaches us clearly that the moment of our salvation, immediately, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. A lot of people, they misunderstand because they only live by their feelings, which is a recipe for disaster. Uh, remember that old hymn, Feelings? Always hated that. But... Um, a lot of people live by that and they only, you know, the, what they feel. So a lot of people think that whenever they're doing things that please God, the Holy Spirit is there, but their heart, their life is a revolving door and whenever they do something that displeases God, He leaves. So if they're going 55 in a an hour zone, the Holy Spirit's there. But if they go 56, the Holy Spirit leaves. How many know that's not true? Holy Spirit doesn't leave till about 79 or 80, Right? <laughs> Um, that's what pastor is telling me, but, um, it's not that way at all. Um, a lot of people go, well, wait a minute, because they go by what they feel. This is why a lot of Christians deal with long-term in their life, secret issue in their heart of chronically doubting their salvation. It's normal for a Christian to go through periods of doubt, but if you've gone through a protracted time of doubting your salvation, it most likely is that you misunderstand the principle of the indwelling spirit in your life. When you are born again, your body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. Like we use the metaphor, you know, Jesus is in your heart. How many have Jesus in your heart? How many have Jesus in your spleen? in your kidneys, right? Okay. I mean, it's, that's not what that's talking about. The Bible actually gives the most consistent metaphor is not Jesus in your left ventricle. It's the Holy Spirit living in your entire body, in your entire soma, in your carcass. And the idea there that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 3.16 and 6.19, those body as the temple texts there, is that no longer do we need a building in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. That's irrelevant anymore. It's obsolete now. Now you are the dwelling place of God, and wherever you go, God's presence is going with you. And some of you, you live in very dark environments. Maybe you're the only believer in your entire household, and when you walk in, you feel oppression, and you feel all alone spiritually and all those things. That's exactly the opposite. You're going by feelings. You're bringing the kingdom and presence and spirit of God to bear in those circumstances. That was a great spot to say amen or I'll drink to that or something, you know. I wish you could get a little sharper on that. But um, it's just, it's one of those things where people sometimes struggle with this and they go, I just, I don't feel. Feelings are irrelevant. If you went by your feelings, you wouldn't have a job, right? If you went by your feelings, probably all of us would be candidates for my 600-pound life, right? You know, We went by our feelings. But for some reason, when it comes to spiritual things, people trust their feelings more than they trust the word of God. Our feelings are sometimes accurate, sometimes not. So we can't trust them. We trust instead the the ever true word of God. So the apostle Paul gets there and he says, since you've been born again, have you received the Holy Spirit? He's obviously here not talking about the the Spirit that comes to live inside of us, the Holy Spirit that comes to live inside of us when we're born again at that moment to help us personally. He's talking about the anointing and ministry power, which is the theme of the book of Acts, or the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is the technically correct term in the Scripture. He's talking about that anointing of power to help other people. The reason why we know this is because that's what he went on to do with them, right? And they said their response was, Holy who? Now, remember, Ephesus was a center of witchcraft and idolatry, all this kind of stuff going on, and so they've heard of scary spirits, demon spirits, spooky spirits, mineral spirits. They've heard of all these different things, but they've not heard that there is a holy or righteous spirit. Uh, Later on, the end of this year, we'll be going to the nation of Peru, and we'll be there for a couple weeks ministering in day sessions with pastors and leaders and the night public salvation, healing meetings, and spirit baptism times, because they're in the Assemblies of God in Peru because of the mixture there of Catholicism by day and like Santeria at night, you know, kind of a voodoo witchcraft mix at night, very strange. But the people, when they come to Christ and they experience the born-again experience, they're still afraid of spirits, because that's what they grew up with. They grew up with the fear of witchcraft. So uh, not many people in that nation within Pentecost and charismatic uh, movements have experienced the baptism in the spirit, even though they want to. It's the same kind of thing here. They go, well, we've not heard the spirits. We, we don't want spirits. And Paul says, well, wait a minute. Why would that trigger a question about water baptism for the apostle Paul? we have not, holy who, what? Paul goes, well, wait a minute, how were you baptized in water then? What water baptism did you, why would that trigger a water baptism question? How did Jesus command us to be baptized in water? Matthew 20, baptizing them in the name of the? They would have heard that right as Apollos was pinching their nose right before he plunged them under the water, right? Well, how are you, oh, you received John's baptism. Go to the next slide, please. John said, oh, that's great. That's cool. John's baptism is great, but it's obsolete now. You need to, God has updated the Christian water baptism app to now water baptism version 2.0, right? And so he updated them. He said, John's baptism was great. It was a baptism, a preparatory baptism of repentance. And he said, it was all pointing to Jesus, but now Jesus has come and done his work. He's identified. Matter of fact, you, you're already his child. You're, you're born again. So that's obsolete. Now we need to update your water baptism, So they were baptized in water, and then Paul placed his hands upon them. The Holy Spirit fell upon them, and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Now here again, the construct is important in the Greek. It's not this side spoke in other tongues, this side prophesied, and this side slept. It's not like that at all. It's not some did this and some did that. It's both and. Everybody spoke in tongues and prophesied. So they experienced spirit-inspired speech. This is what the baptism in the Holy Spirit is all about. Not you praying in tongues, but God powerfully communicating through your mouth, right? The main principle of this, of ministry, is that God wants to communicate. He's not a mute God. And who does he speak through? Fixer-upper projects like you and I, right? And so the idea is that he wants to empower the things that we say so other people will experience his, his Kindness and presence and and salvation in our lives. So Paul laid his hands on them. The Holy Spirit came on them. So if you've been coming, how many have been coming here to Central since Abraham and Sarah's engagement party? A long time, right? And so uh, I've I've growing up, I grew up in in Harrisburg and uh, at Harrisburg First Assembly and then later on in Camp Hill when that church was founded years ago. And uh, so I've, growing up in this district, I have lots of friends from this church. Matter of fact, this morning I was fielding a whole bunch of texts from Joel Van Briggle. He asked me to get his family saved, and so that's good. But uh, are they here? Right here, right here, okay. So, um, but, uh, and then I went to CBC with Carolyn Volpe, and I mean, I know a lot, a lot of folks from here. But um, growing up, you know, this, this, this church, this has been a great church all these years. It still is, even greater. God is just doing great things. Aren't you thankful for being a part of Godly, consistent—you know—things taking place. It's a wonderful thing. We appreciate that. But some of you go, you know, I I, just—I'm brand new. I didn't know this church was a good church. I just like their coffee, you know, and and uh, I came here and then I experienced God, whatever. But if you were a brand new person and you just walked in off the street, gave your life to Jesus, and one of the greeters led you to the Lord in the lobby, and you sat down here, and Pastor came up and hey, nice to have you, shake your hand, and you go, yeah, I just got, I just gave my life to Jesus. What do I do next? Um, what would one of the original apostles do with a brand new convert? They would say, well, you need to, first of all, understand the phenomena of the blood moons. <laughs> then, which sounds like a terrible lower GI problem, doesn't it? And then you need to, then you need to understand, you know, the, what you memorize all the epistles in Greek. And then you need, well, what, what would an original, the first steps of Christian discipleship as modeled by the apostles is not, they're not beginning with teaching even. Paul says, First Corinthians, we do speak a message of wisdom, teaching God's wisdom to the mature. But where do we start? A lot of people are afraid, especially coming from a, a Holy Spirit context, Pentecostal, charismatic, that means people that are serving Jesus that believe and welcome the empowering of the Spirit to help them, right? Um, They say, well, we don't want to do that Holy Spirit stuff with brand new, fragile new converts. We might break them. We might weird them out. To which I say, don't be weird about the Holy Spirit, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, please cut back on the weirdness, all right? Just encourage them. A lot of people think whenever you talk about the Holy Spirit, you got to dim the lights and, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And it's not that way. Shine a flashlight up your chin. It was a night just like this 30 years ago, you know. And uh, a lot of people get all weird about it. You don't have to be weird. The Holy Spirit's not weird. People are weird. You want proof? Look to your right or to your left, Right. All right. People get weird, but the Holy Spirit's not weird. In fact, Jesus said in John 16, 15, all that the Father has is mine, Jesus said. That's why I said the Holy Spirit will take from what is mine and will make it known to you. You can't even be saved without the Holy Spirit's help. He's the one that convicts us of sin. He's actually the one that enacts salvation in our lives. We're born again because of the sacrifice and blood of Jesus. But the Bible says the Holy Spirit is the regenerator. He's the one that enacts the new life in us. He's the one that causes us to grow and mature. He's the one that empowers us for ministry. He's the one that comes to dwell inside of us and bring the manifest presence of God and transformation, sanctification. I mean, we need the Holy Spirit. And whether you welcome him or not, if you're born again, you're interacting with him. You know? He wants to help us, but a lot of people go, well, you know, I really trust God the Father. After all, he has a throne. I really trust Jesus. After all, I've seen all the paintings of him, that jaundiced, northern European, bony-faced, gaunt guy with a, a, a bathrobe on. And, uh, but the Holy Spirit, I don't know if I trust him. After all, I've heard of what he does to people. It's like alien abductions, and they wake up in another county and all this weird stuff. But the weird stuff comes from people. The good stuff comes from the Holy Spirit. All he does is take the things that are Christ's and make them known to us. So look at this next one. We'll answer this question. Hit me the next slide, if you would. Acts shows us one model. Whenever the apostles were around new converts, we have five examples in the book of Acts, this is what they did. They got them baptized in water to show devotion, commitment, identification. And then they got them baptized in the Holy Spirit To give them above and beyond supernatural equipment to do ministry. So, water baptism, if it's done properly, when you get baptized in water, what do you get? You get wet if it's done properly, right? When you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you get power. Now, it's interesting to note, uh, Acts 2.38 is actually the preaching of Peter on the day of Pentecost. He sets up this thing. You need to get saved first. How many believe that salvation is the only spiritual status-setting event in a believer's life? You're either in the kingdom of God or out. There's no degrees inside. Well, on the 12th order of the Jedi Master inside the kingdom of God, you know? You know, I've been around some churches where they have some seniors that look like Yoda, but they're not, you know? It's just that way. And, um, but... It's it's not like well when you get saved you're a silver level Christian and then when you get baptized in water you're a gold level Christian and then when you get baptized in the holy spirit then you're a plutonium level because of glow plut- plutonium level Christian A lot of people that are new to a church like Central they think well you know well, those Pentecostals they overvalue spiritual phenomena like speaking in tongues so it's like you know when you're saved you know you You sit in the back, you know, and uh, these are the uncomfortable pews because they're worn out. How many know the the front pews are more comfortable because hardly anybody ever sits in them? The foam is still still good in them. But, you know, when you're saved, I mean, it's, you know, it's good and whatever. But then when you get baptized in water, you can move to the middle sections where the foam's just a little better. And there's, you know, you get a 15% discount at the bookstore and some other things like that. But when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit and you experience the phenomenon of speaking in tongues, there's like a secret thing that there's secret meetings for people like that. Did you know when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit here at Central and can speak in tongues that you get valet parking? (laughs) You get a 50% discount on your tithe (laughs) and the associated 50% discount in blessing, unfortunately. Um, you get pastor's private cell number, you know? Um, a lot of people, now I'm being facetious, but a lot of people that are new or don't understand think that's the way it's, that's not the case at all. You are either born again or not. The events of discipleship that take place after we're born again do not set our spiritual status. There's no hierarchy of that way. You're in or you're out, right? But once you're in, if you want to really obey the Lord and follow the teaching of the apostles who walked with him and heard what he wanted us to do, then you got to follow this pattern. Get baptized in water, get baptized in the Spirit. Acts 8, baptized in water, Philip and Samaria, then baptized in the Spirit. Now Acts 9 and 10, something interesting happens. Acts 9 is the Apostle Paul. Acts 10 is the Italian Pentecost. How many Italians here? That was disappointing. should be, yay, or something like that, right? Okay, all right. so in Acts 9 and 10, they are, those orders are reversed. They're first baptized in the Holy Spirit and then baptized in water in those two of those five accounts. So that lets us know the actual order that these things take place in your life is not important. So today, if you've not yet been baptized in water, you can still be baptized in the Holy Spirit in a few moments. That's no big deal. But it should become a main thing on your to-do list the next time they fire up the jacuzzi up here. You need to get in, right, Okay. And so, but these are designed to be front loaded in our Christian walk because they establish our discipleship, our devotion to the Lord, and water baptism, and spirit baptism establishes our ministry ethos in our walk with God. Every Christian is called by God into the full time ministry. You go, well, cause like in America, I mean, we, we do a lot of things right, but we also do a lot of things really crazy. Like a lot of people think ministry is just one of many vocations. I want to be a plumber. I want to be the guy at the Humane Society that sends the cats to heaven. I want to be the whatever or wherever they go. I want to be, I want to be that guy, you know, or pastor or missionary or doctor or mechanic or whatever it is. And we think of ministry as just one of vocation. Well, ministry can be a vocational calling. But if you're a Christian, ministry is not an option. God's not called you to be a a myopic, only absorbent person in the kingdom of God that just draws in. God's called us to be a, a sharer of the things of the kingdom of God. And every person, any Christian worth their salt wants to do more for the Lord, but instead we get governed by our own fear and apprehensions and misunderstandings. And we say, oh, well, one day when I have the time, one day when I have the training, one day when I have the money, One day when I overcome my issues, how many have issues? If your neighbor didn't raise their hand, lean over and just suggest the issue of denial as a starting point, right? They go, you know, one day, some golden daybreak, you know, I'll... But it's not that way at all. From the earliest part of our Christian life, God wants us to be sharers of the kingdom of God. But the problem is we're totally incapable and unqualified, but the good news is the Holy Spirit is capable and qualified. And so let's define what this baptism in the Spirit is. Look at the next one, if you would, please. Baptism in the Holy Spirit, or Spirit Baptism for short, is the prophesied empowering from the Holy Spirit. Now, prophesied first in the book of Numbers, the fourth book of the Bible, Numbers eleven twenty-nine, 29, by Moses. One day in the future, when the Messiah comes, All of God's people will be able to be empowered to speak his words, and the Holy Spirit will engulf all of them. One day in the future, not the old covenant, but the new covenant. When the Messiah comes, everything gets changed, right? It's prophesied by Samuel. It's prophesied by David. It's prophesied by Isaiah. It's prophesied by Zechariah. It's prophesied strongly by Joel. In fact, on the day of Pentecost, AD 30, when they're first baptized in the Spirit, Acts chapter 2, that Joel 2 text is Peter's explanation. They said, you people look like you're drunk. Peter goes, we're not drunk. It's too early for that. He uses a natural argument. It's only nine in the morning. We couldn't get that drunk by now, you know. Um, But he said, this is not drunkenness. This is the fulfillment of that Joel prophecy when one day God will pour out his spirit on all of his children, young, old son, daughter, you know, men, women. And and it's prophesied by John the Baptist. It's prophesied by Jesus Himself, and so it's the prophesied empowering of the Holy Spirit given to followers of Jesus. That is the only criteria. It's not given only to the super holy, the super righteous, the super groomed. You know, I mean, you no know, God likes to pour His Spirit on a ratty tatty people too, right? Okay, God wants to pour His Spirit out upon us. If you're born again, God wants to establish. That ministry power and ethos in your spiritual life to change you from being just a sit-down receiver into a stander-upper, speaker-outer, right? Wants to give you that boldness and power. It's given for the specific purpose of ministering with supernatural help to other people. God wants to use us. He wants to give us that power. He wants to quell our excuses of, I can't because. Well, in a perfect world, I would do a lot for the Lord. But, you know, my, my mother didn't love me enough when I was growing up and didn't change my diaper frequently enough. And my therapist says I've developed a bitter maternal toxicity complex that can only be overcome with, you know, ginkgo biloba and, and, uh, and sunshine or whatever. And we kind of, we, I mean, it's cool. I mean, I, I'm not down on Christian counseling at all. Thank God for Christian counselors. But, I'm being a little silly with it, but a lot of people, they believe their own excuses more than they believe the word of God. I mean, no, there's nobody that comes from a broken background, which is all of us on some level. There's nobody whose brokenness exceeds God's ability for you to overcome it. People say, well, I'm a struggling believer. You know, I've got problems. I, you know, I'm struggling with an addiction or I'm struggling with whatever, you know, or, you know, I'm struggling with demonic stronghold in two areas. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan and I have a house cat. And you're like, I'm gonna tell you, though that may cause a brownout in heaven, it still will, God has the power to overcome it. People, listen, struggling believers go, well, one day when I get better, then I can be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's not that way at all. A struggling believer needs the baptism in the Holy Spirit even more urgently. People go, well, I feel unworthy. Well, that's an accurate feeling. If you remove Jesus from your life, you are unworthy. And in every spiritual transaction we have with God, only Jesus can supply the worthiness. That's what he does. He alone is worthy. He alone is righteous. So that feeling of I am unworthy, well, yeah, you and I, our own identity without Jesus, that's accurate. We are unworthy. But Jesus alone supplies the commodity of spiritual worthiness to us. So this is really, really important. Now look at this next one. Let's look at a couple scriptures about the term baptize in or with the Holy Spirit. This terminology is used six times in the Bible. It's prophesied in every gospel it's prophesied by Jesus, There are number five in Acts 1-5. And then finally, very significantly in Acts eleven sixteen, 16 it's prophesied by the apostle Peter. In fact, it's an identifier by Peter. He looks back and he says, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell upon us, confirmed with tongue speaking, that is when Jesus baptized us, the apostles and, and the others, on the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit. And then he looks back on the events of just a few days previous, the Italian Pentecost, Cornelius, Uh, In the city of Caesarea, remember Cornelius and his lovely wife, Zira, when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit there on on Acts chapter 10? um, He says, when the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke in tongues, that is when Jesus baptized us in the Holy Spirit. He points a finger and specifically describes what this is. Prophesied in the first four, every one of the Gospels by John the Baptist, prophesied by Jesus, identified by Peter. I mean, it's bookended with... Iron-clad terminology and understanding. When you get baptized in water, it's a Christian being dunked in what? Water, right? And who dunks you? Well, we say a pastor, but it, does, it just has to be another Christian, right? Okay. Matter of fact, I say you lead them to the Lord, you dunk him, right? Okay. But um, just another, another believer. When you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, it is a Christian being dunked in what? Think for a moment before you say it. Being dunked in the Holy Spirit's power for ministry, anointing, and who is dunking you? Jesus. Only Jesus can baptize us in the Holy Spirit. Technically, being baptized in the Holy Spirit is not an activity of the Holy Spirit. It's an activity of Jesus. And you know Jesus as your Savior, as your healer, as your deliverer. Have you experienced Jesus as your baptizer in the Holy Spirit yet? Because if you haven't, this is going to be a wonderful, life-altering morning for you. I want to ask you that same question the Apostle Paul asked the Ephesians. Since you've been born again, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Would you guys um, put the last picture up there real quick? This is a a guy you've seen already, not just me, but um, Giligwenda, uh, Maunda is, is the guy that was interpreting for me in the video you saw a minute ago. Uh Giligwenda is Datog by birth, so that's um, the Datog are like the blood sworn enemy of the Maasai. They're both Nilotic people groups, so they're very tall and regal and slender. Anybody ever seen the Maasai? Or maybe you watched Faults and Basketball and you saw Minute Bowl or something. Very they're built by like baseball pitchers, just lean. Like Giligwenda, I'm I'm I am i am i am like more muscled out than he is, which is a joke, you know. I mean, the only muscle I have right here is, is uh, some people have a six-pack, I have, have a cake. But um, they, they uh, you know, Gilagwenda, he doesn't look super muscular, but when he, comes, when he comes to the United States with his wife to, to travel and itinerate in ministry, um, like they just, they just left and went back to Tanzania. When he was home, he got off the plane and he went to the town they were first ministering in and he saw the sign that said 5K and 10K, and so he's still jet lagged. He goes, I want to do that. So he takes off his shoes. He runs barefoot and wins the 5K and the 10K off the plane with jet lag, right? And it's uh, just amazing. But um, is uh, he gave his life to the Lord in 2002 when there were zero known converts from the Datog to Christianity out of a quarter of a million, zero. So in our understanding, he's convert number one. I mean, let that sink in. Ancient people group. Since he has come to Christ, he and his wife have led sixteen thousand Togue to the Lord since two thousand and two. It's massive, massive. So we work with them quite a bit. He was interpreting for me. Saw him just a couple weeks ago again. Great, great people. Wow, amazing people. Well, I grew up, like I said, at Harrisburg First Assembly of God. My pastor was an Italian guy by the name of Philip Bongiorno, right? And some of you may know him. And in fact, his son John was in the video earlier as well. But, um, but Bongiorno were wonderful, wonderful, just great people, strong leaders, and led this, the Assemblies of God district for Pennsylvania, Delaware for years, and just, just incredible people, great church. And I grew up when Harrisburg First Assembly used to be downtown Harrisburg, two blocks away from the governor's mansion on Green Street in Harrisburg. Anybody been to Harrisburg before? And you made it out alive. Good for you. Um, But um, growing up, church was kind of the epicenter of our social culture. Um, We didn't have, like as before, satellite TV. How many remember the TV where you had to click, 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 click? You had three channels, or if your sister held the rabbit ears, you could get PBS. Remember that, you know? And and that's kind of the the way it was. Uh, I remember growing up because the show I always wanted to watch as a kid was The Wonderful World of Disney, but it was on Sunday nights at 7 p.m., and you couldn't watch it because you had to go to church. I was mad at Jesus for years about that. <laughs> then I saw it, and it was boring, like talking animals and who cares. But anyway, um, but growing up, church was Sunday morning for us, and then Sunday school, then Sunday morning, and then it was 5 p.m. was our youth service, and back in the 70s, youth was anyone from birth to 35, which is slightly creepy. I'm just going to be honest. All right. But um, five o'clock was youth service. And then seven o'clock was a Sunday night service, which usually went to nine or 10 at night. Um, and then you had a Tuesday morning women's Bible study, which was women and all of their children that are not yet in school. All right. So until you're in school, you're at women's Bible study. and Then Wednesday night, you had the family night, with the missionettes and the royal strangers and all that stuff, and we did that. And then Friday night, we had an all-church prayer meeting. Saturday was the men's, uh, men's prayer breakfast where men sat around and ate pancakes and talked about prayer, brought their sons with them. And then, and then we start all again. You know, a lot of times, we'd have revival services that would be uh, in the evenings, and then you'd do an afternoon session as well. And, I mean, church was like, you're in church. And our typical time in church was was crowned by participatory corporate prayer, not the pastor praying, which we believe in, priestly prayer, but everybody praying together. That's why we received so much from God, because praying, you and I praying, praying together even, is the normal way people receive from God in the Bible. Acts 4.24, and all of the believers lifted their voices together to God in prayer, and the Holy Spirit came down, right? So our family, we would, we would come forward and pray, and we would pray right here. This, your, your pew is right. This is where our family would sit. And Harrisburg First was kind of a shotgun church, the old church building downtown, two, two rows, and then we had an overflow here and an overflow there, so kind of four sections. But our family would come up here, and, and unlike your church, we would save the front row for the visitors so nobody would be sitting there because we wanted them to be able to come in and feel inconspicuous. And so... And our family would come, and we would pray right here. We would pray right here where you guys are. We'd kneel down. My dad was typically traveling in ministry. He was for 62 years with a singing group called The Couriers, and he, they were always traveling. So my mom and my sisters and I would come forward, and we would pray here. And I was just a little runt, you know, and my mom always let me have, like, a Hot Wheels or Matchbox car as long as I can pray, you know, because little boys have the wiggles, I believe, uh, Nacho Libre said. And so I would, I would be there praying. And my sisters, my mom would be praying. And the first people I ever heard pray in tongues were my parents. And then my pastor, Pastor Bongiorno, great man of God, still is to this day, mighty man of God. And they would never pray like so loud, like, hey, check me out, look what I'm doing. It was a part of their own spiritual life. How many of you know that the reason why God associates the sign of speaking in tongues with being baptized in the spirit is he's giving you a personal encounter where he is prompting you you are following the prompting and he's empowering what you say so that later on when you're like i want to talk to that person but i don't know what to say you have that confidence ability that the holy spirit will guide your words if you can trust god to guide you to speak in the unknown language how much more afterwards can you trust him to guide you to speak in your known language for him he does something significant personal, guiding your steps. You're following him, taking steps of faith, finding out that the safety net is huge and he's going to help you. And then when you get around lost people, when you get around people that need to hear about the things of God, you go, oh, God guides me now. He's installed that in my life and now I can follow his word. It's very, very functional. It's not some weird thing where you wet your pants and speak in tongues and wake up two weeks later in the hospital. You know, it's not like that at all. It's very, you're not unconscious God doesn't put the chloroform rag over the Holy Spirit over your mouth, and then you pass out. You're very alert, awake, and participating in this, right? A lot of people think speaking in tongues is unconscious. No. Speaking in tongues is very conscious. It's very yielding. In fact, if anything, most people would testify they're more aware of their surroundings when the Holy Spirit is upon them than they are normally, The Holy Spirit heightens all of our sense of the need of the people around us and what what is happening. It's not some dulled catatonic state where you're floating through the cosmos while Pink Floyd music is playing and, you know, whatever, and seeing dancing elephants. You're you're experiencing experiencing the need of people around you and what God is doing. You're participating in the activity of the Spirit. So we would pray kneeling right here, and we had a guy in our church. His name was Jim, and I was buddies with one of his sons. He was a good man in the church. He was a, um, kind of a common laborer, um, very uh, low education, but high wisdom. You know what I'm talking about? Like probably the, like Andy Griffith smarts, you know, the smartest guy in the room, but nobody realized it until they needed to, you know, but low education, high wisdom. You know what I'm talking about? And he would typically pace the floor right here behind us. And he would pace back in, because everyone has kind of assigned rote patterns we get into. And he would pace the floor, and usually when prayer would kind of hit critical mass, when the Holy Spirit would start boiling our water, all of a sudden he'd be pacing, and all of a sudden he would break out and begin to pray in tongues. Not so loud that everyone could hear, not not a public utterance in tongues that needed to be interpreted, but what Paul called praying in the Spirit, which he tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, 4, and 5, all of us can do. Remember, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 30, not everyone is going to do the public one with interpretation, but all of us can pray in the Spirit, and that's what comes with Spirit baptism, right? To give us a confident sign and experience. He would pace the floor, and just because I was right there, kneeling down, praying, and playing with matchbox cars, um, I would hear him pray. And he would pray the same words over and over and over and over again. Some of you have experienced, maybe in your language of the Spirit, You've had a lot of the same language, a lot of the same the words and vocabulary. And he would, I would normally never say what someone else says when they pray in tongues because it doesn't belong to me. You know, it's, it's sacred. But growing up in church, you know, some things that are sacred sometimes kind of become funny because people are involved in it. I mean, you know, people are funny, right? And so he would pray, I'm just gonna say it. He would pray over and over again, these words, Shikamobaba, Shikamobaba, Shikamobaba. It got to, this is really terrible. But my sister, who's now the pastor's wife, at, at Camp Hill, um, she and I used to call him Brother Shikamo. That's terrible. I'm pretty sure that's a sin. I'm pretty sure. I've repented just in case. Um, and it wasn't, we weren't trying to be blasphemous or whatever, but it just was, you know, and you grew up in, some of you grew up in church, right? And some things are funny, you know, and that's just kind of the way it was. And, um, and so and we were, again, we weren't being disrespectful, but it just, so that was in my heart. Well, fast forward now to this last year we're way out in the middle of beyond Serengeti we're out you know no roads we're in an area called Gesala which is um, it's datog central Um, Even the census takers from Tanzania don't go there. It's only accessible three months out of the year because of the the topography there to get there. It's like in the bottom of kind of a Grand Canyon row of mountains. And the little stretch is 50 feet wide that you can get into Gasala. But nine months out of the year, it's soaked totally and you can't get through. There's no way to get there. You can't get through in a boat because of quicksand and uh, to get off the boat. It's just really remote. And we're praying and we're meeting with the Datog leaders and making agreements with them. They're all illiterate. And so you go there several times over a couple years and, and do all these ceremonies. Hey, we want to bring a school. We want to bring a church. We want to bring water. You know, will you accept it? And they say, we'll come back next year and when the sun is at the same place and we'll, you know, this. And then you come back next year and they go, we're still talking about it. You Come back the third year. And if they present you an animal skin, a goat skin that's been tanned, with, and you flip it upside down, and there's hundreds or even a thousand thumbprints in blood on the back. That's their document from their village saying, okay, we have all now agreed, bring water, a church, and a school. And so it's a long process, right? So we're in one of these meetings, you know, a matter of fact, this last, this two weeks ago in Gasala, they gave us this, the animal skin. So that's really awesome. Uh, 3,500 people are, are going to have a gospel witness there. Pretty awesome, but. Um, We go out afterwards then in prayer. We're in a hotel room on the other side of the Serengeti after, you know, Drew is like four in the morning. We decide to pray before we go to bed. It's eight or nine pastors and their spouses, Gilagwinda, his wife, Dolphy, Rochelle, and I. We're praying and seeking the Lord, and we're really crying out to God for the salvation of the Datog that God would break through because at essence, the Datog is a child sex abuse cult. It's horrific, and God comes in and saves these people, and they're transformed, and it's just amazing. God is doing such great things there. And we're praying, we're crying out to God saying, Jesus, come and save the Dattog, open the doors, you know, break the darkness. And all of a sudden, I hear Gila Gwenda across the hotel room start praying, Shikamu Baba, Baba. And my ears go whoop, like this. And every childhood memory awakens inside of me. And I'm like, no way. So God's given him the same Words in tongues that he gave Brother Jim at Harrisburg First on the whole first 10 years of my life in the 1970s. No way. And so I walk over to Gilligland. They were dear friends. I put my arm around him, totally interrupt him in prayer. I say, I'm so sorry, but were you praying in tongues? He goes, yeah, a little back and forth. And I said, well, you were praying, and I'm trying to overcome my reverence, you know, because I don't want to be callous or casual, but I'm like, you were praying, you know, the Bible says inquiring minds. It's not in the Bible. But um, I... I was like, I gotta know, you were praying and you were saying, 'Um, um, Shikamo Baba? He goes, yeah. I said, was that tongues? He goes, no, that's Swahili with a Datog affect on it. I said, well, what does it mean? And he said, well, Shikamo is the Swahili principle of giving the highest honor. It literally means I am not worthy enough to shake your hand. I value you so highly, that I bow low and grab your feet. And Baba is Father. I was just saying, God, I give you the highest honor. And I, my mind went back to the 1970s when this man with a sixth grade education, having no idea what he's saying, but empowered by the Holy Spirit to do things he could never do before, is pacing the floor, prophetically praying, before that took convert number one in the history of the world, comes to Jesus, pacing the floor 28 years before, saying, in the special dialect of Swahili that the togs speak in the marketplace, I give you the highest honor, Father. I'm gonna tell you, the Holy Spirit can take us to places we can never get to by ourselves. How many wanna go there? You wanna go to new places in the Lord? All right? Now Listen. You've been super patient uh, with me today, and I appreciate your kindness. But in a second, I'm going to have everybody stand up. And usually what happens at that moment is at that moment, the ninja Christians start sneaking out. I just want to tell you that is not appropriate, all right? The reason why is because I'm going to invite people to meet Jesus as their Savior. How many think that would be the least appropriate time to cause a disturbance, right? Right? I mean, all of this that's here, so people will come to Jesus, okay? After I give the salvation appeal in prayer, if you need to sneak out, go full-on ninja and army crawl out the door. That's cool. Uh, we're going to then transition into a time, of, but please do not. Matter of fact, if you see your neighbor trying to sneak out when we're doing a salvation appeal, turn to them, point your finger at them, yell, heathen, heretic, reprobate, bibber, debaucherer, all right? We want to create the proper social... I'm being silly, but how many understand they're serious? This is important business, isn't it? So with that, would you stand with me to your feet real quick? take a stretch, reach for the sky, stretch your carcass out. Spirit is willing. We want God, but flesh is weak, right? Would you bow your heads with me all over this house? Thank God for the work of his spirit. Thank God for the great ministry of this church, for all the people. This church has been a conduit of people going around the world in ministry and in missions over the years. Just amazing. I'm so thankful. What an honor it is for us to be able to share with you. But I've got to tell you today, if you're Standing in this room and you have never given your life to Jesus, you've never been born again, honestly, none of that other stuff matters. The single greatest thing that can happen in a person's life is when they discover Jesus as the one who saves. I'm not talking about, you know, joining the church or whatever. A lot of people come from backgrounds where they've had Christianity in religious form in their life from upbringing, and a lot of people trust in religious ceremony to save them. But the Bible tells us clearly the words of Jesus. He says in John chapter three, religious ceremony doesn't save us. Water baptism doesn't save us. Confirmation doesn't save us. Well-meaning, godly religious leaders pointing at us and going, you're okay now. or signing a document for us, giving a certificate doesn't save us. Jesus said this himself from his own lips in John chapter three. If you have not been born again, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. There is no other way. There's no back door. There's no family plan. There's no Groupon. There's no other way to get into the kingdom of God. You yourself, the Bible says the soul that sins, the person that sins, they will surely die. It's your responsibility. And I want to ask you today, have you humbled yourself and asked Jesus to forgive your sins? Put your faith in him as the one who saves you from your sins. All of us have sinned. But have you made that commitment today? Because if you haven't yet, this is the moment. Remember the normal way we receive from God is through personal prayer. That's the way you receive the born-again experience, salvation. And this morning, all over this room, while Christians are quietly interceding, if you look at your own life and say, you know what, I've never done that. I've never been born again Maybe you've been putting your faith in religious ceremony to save you. Maybe you, you've never made that step at all even towards the Lord. But you say, I want to be born again. I want to live for Jesus. I want to know the assurance from the words of Jesus himself that I am accepted by God. I want you just to wave a hand to me all over this house. Say, that's me. I want to make sure things are right between me and the Lord. God bless you. I know this room's, over the years, thousands of people have made Jesus their Lord and Savior in this beautiful sanctuary. I'm so thankful for that. Now, let me ask this next question. How many say, you know what, I know I'm born again. i give my life to Christ, but um, if I'm to be honest and look at my life, honestly, really the only spiritual activity going on right now in my life is church attendance, and that just occasional. And I, you know, I look and just coming to church twice a month or whatever it is, that's that's kind of about it. Other than that, I don't, honestly, if I look at my life, the activity of God in my life is very little. And more. Of, actually, the old ways are stronger in my life than the things of God. I'm dealing with the old battles. I'm dealing with the battle of the mind and addictions and issues. And I know I've given my life to Jesus and technically, you know, I'm going to heaven, but I, I'm not making any traction in becoming less like me and more like Jesus. That's my present status. And I want to use this morning as a spiritual reset point of saying, you know what, Lord? I want to give you my best effort. I want to give you my best energy. I want to turn things around. I want to live for you and stop living for myself and hurting the people around me. And I just want to use today as that reset point. If all that language speaks to your life circumstance right now, I want you to wave a hand at me all over this house. Come on, it's time to be honest in the presence of the Lord. Awesome. I'm so excited. That honesty of your response is going to enable us to receive from God. I'd like us all to pray together a prayer of repentance. And after that, if you need to sneak out, you can sneak out. There'll be no formal dismissal, although you'll miss the best part when the power of the Holy Spirit comes down. But um, when we pray, we're going to pray a prayer of repentance. And I would encourage you, if you already know how to pray, pick your own words. Speak out of your heart. Just make sure it costs you honesty. Like, you know it's honest if, and, and sincere and transparent if you feel like you need to kind of cover your mouth so nobody can hear it. You know you're being vulnerable to the Lord in those moments. Be vulnerable in prayer. Asking him for fresh cleansing. All of us could use that. This morning, if you don't know how to pray, you can follow my, my words of prayer. They won't save you, but it's what's going on in your heart and your response to God that will. Can we pray? I want to ask us all to be verbal and out loud. Can we lift our voices to God? Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. And no one else can save me from my sin but you. I believe you died on the cross for me, for my sin, even though you didn't deserve it. And then you rose again from the dead to prove with power that you can overcome my sin and all of its consequence. I need your supernatural help to save me from my sin. And I say with my mouth, I confess in honesty, Jesus Christ is Lord. And I believe in my heart, God, that you raised him from the dead, and you're raising me from my sin death into newness of life right now. Thank you, Lord, for cleansing me from my sin. Thank you. I need you, Lord. God, I pray for my friends today that are really struggling. They love you. And they're trying to serve you. They've given their life to you at some point or another in their life, but they're just not really... They're struggling with the old ways. I pray right now the power of the Lord would come into their life. You said, as many as came... To those he gave the power to become the children of God. And I ask you, Lord, to reinfuse infuse them with the power to be, the power to become right now. Not the power to step backward, but the power to step forward. We command bondages to be broken. I thank you, God. I sense the Holy Spirit saying, right now, some of you are starting to feel this power surging through you. And God is cleansing you from addiction to prescription drugs right now. He's cleansing you. you. Feel it in your body right now. Thank you for it, Lord Jesus. Thank you for touching your people today. Thank you for it, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Would you look up here for just a quick second? If you made that commitment to serve Jesus, would you tell somebody on the way out, tell one of the greeters, tell one of the pastors? And if you don't have a Bible, you don't have stuff, we'd love to give you some stuff to help you to serve the Lord, all right? Now listen, right now, if you need to go, you can sneak out. God bless you. That's awesome, no problem. If you would like to spend about 10 minutes or so seeking the Lord in prayer, listen, you're gonna to go to a restaurant you're gonna wait for 40 minutes right now, all right? So you can either stand there at Applebee's doing this or you can get drenched in the waterfalls of God. Your choice, all right? But, um, but I wanna encourage you, if you're hungry... For a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit's power in your life so you can be more effective. You want power that's not your own. You want God to give you your superpower today, All right, I want to encourage you. Get out of your seat. Let's just flood this altar. Come on. We're not going to beg and plead and sing a million songs. I hate manipulation. But you just want a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit's power in your life. Whether for the first time or a new measure. Come on. Let's just come and begin to seek Him. And when you come, would you just begin to press in in prayer with me? Come on, come on, come on. Lord, I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you, Lord. Some of you have been praying to be baptized in the Holy Spirit for the first time for years. God has been filling, He's been touching you, but today is the day for you to receive in an extraordinary measure. Just come, come, come. As you're coming, how many would wave a hand and say, I want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit for the first time. That's not happened for me yet. Give me a wave. Give me a wave all over. See go hands? Awesome. Wherever you're at, Wherever you're at, God will touch you. But I want to, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to wave again. Prayer partners, would you just look around and see I'm going to send you. I know I normally have people come forward, but you guys have such small altar space, which is cool. Um, But I want to ask prayer partners pay attention. If you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit for the first time, wave a hand again. Real big. Be bold. Prayer partners, look around. Find my friends that are waving. Okay, look around. I'm going to ask you to sneak over. All right. Now, it's really easy to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Step number one, your job is you need to get as close to God in prayer as you can. Your first two or three minutes of prayer are going to be awkward and clunky because that's the way it is. But lower your guard, draw near to God, be verbal, slip up a hand. You know, you get better reception with your antennas up. Just begin to draw near to God. Lord, I love you. I need you. Fill me with your spirit. Don't worry about your grammar and just draw near to God, all right, in prayer. Someone will come and they'll put a hand on your shoulder gently. They're not going to push you over or shake you up. We don't do that. They're just going to stand with you in prayer. Step number two, you are going to sense as you start praying, probably pretty quickly, the Holy Spirit start falling upon you. He responds very urgently to you. You're going to sense Him start falling upon you. When you When you can say, wow, God is really here, when you're at that moment, if you will stop speaking, stop praying, stop thinking and speaking, in that moment, quiet your heart and just pay attention to the prompting of the Spirit. He will, in some level, begin to give you the utterance, the prompting of that new supernatural language. It doesn't make any difference if I hear it or not. It's between you and God. But God is trying to send you the test signal, the color bars out, to say, hey, this new conduit this new wiring has been installed from heaven into your hard drive and now you're receiving prophetic data from the Lord and you simply need to begin to speak the words he's giving you he may make you aware of them he may uh, just make you feel like you need to speak or like I need to say something but try take those steps you won't make a mistake try to give your voice and your sound to God while the anointing is on you this is between you and him he's trying to tutor you in how to follow His prompting, So tomorrow when you're at work or school or whatever, that you feel like you need to say something, you draw near to God and you follow those steps again. He'll lead you and guide your words. This is a very parental activity of God, all right? For those of you that say, I was baptized in the Spirit way back when and you haven't prayed in tongues for a long time, God wants to reinvigorate that holy sign in your life that you will speak the words God wants to give you. And the rest of us, God's just going to come and empower in a fresh way. So can we just begin to lift our hands towards heaven? And let's just begin to cry out to him all over this house. Jesus, would you come? Jesus, I need you. I need you. God, I don't want to live for myself. I want to live for you. I want to do great things for you, Jesus. Come and fill me, Lord. Come and fill me, Lord. Oh, God, wash us away from our selfish ways and fill us with your holy zeal for the lost and for ministry. Empower us, Lord. Empower us, Lord. Empower us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, come on, press in. you just invite the Holy Spirit to fall upon you and just invite Jesus to pour out his spirit upon you right now come on Jesus would you loose waterfalls from heaven right now over this church waterfalls from heaven release new gifts and new power and new strength and new anointing let it be if you're praying to be baptized in the Holy Spirit right now it's okay that the atmosphere is kind of chill that's no big deal but in a moment as the Holy Spirit's washing over you quiet your heart perceive his promptings and just begin to follow them. Don't overprocess it. Just receive, receive, receive. If you were filled years ago, ask the Lord, give him some names. Ask the Lord to anoint you to speak to and then fill in the blank. Ask him right now. Put some equity in the bank right now. So this week when you're around those people, you can draw from that, from this time of prayer That anointing right now, new gifts, new power, new ways. New ways. Come on, press in with me. All over this house, if you're able to, would you just begin as you're able to, to yield to that prompting from the Holy Spirit? Let that holy language out. It's a sign you're speaking. The things God wants you to say, it defies human logic. He's trying to prove to you that he wants to speak. That flow that's taking place right now is God himself prompting you by his spirit to your spirit. And even though you don't understand, you trust him so much that you're willing to obey him beyond your your misunderstanding, lack of understanding. He wants to guide you. That's a prophetic flow that's flowing right now. Oh, God, let it happen. Let it happen. Teach us then, Lord, to train our English, Lord, our known language to yield to. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.